I see them together. I see them as being sort of two sides of the same thing. They both have to do with communion, really. Um, From a religious point of view, of course, communion is a resonant word. You know, we were, in fact, the church talks about um, the communion of saints, by which it means all those people, living and dead, of the church, joined together in the body of Christ. But I think we're able to see that communion has a resonance even outside that tradition. I mean, all, for all of us, we know that um, any consideration of our lives, any time that we consider what it is to be human in a world that we share with other humans, we think of it in terms of a kind of communion or a set of communions. We are aware that all our life we are, you know, giving and receiving. We are, you know, caring for and being cared for. We are feeding and being fed, we're looking after and being looked after, we are forgiving and being forgiven. That for us, this really is constitutively human, this being in communion with others. We have no other way to be, really. And I think all souls and all saints help to acknowledge that this communion doesn't end with death, that we, there is a continuation of this communion, even after those people go before us, those people are taken from us even, but they're taken from us, but they remain with us now in a different way. Yeah. I mean, is there a sense that people have a particular sense around this time of the year where you are aware of that communion, of that communion with people who have passed? I think we are aware that our memories, our shared stories, our narratives, our human gatherings getting together as say in my family we do on the occasion of my mother's anniversary or my father's anniversary or my nephews or my brother's anniversaries that we do meet we do share stories we do remember events we laugh we can be somewhat wistful but there is a sense that there that there is a continued presence now you know, depending on where you're coming from you will configure that presence in one way or the other but I think there's a generally there's, there is generally a, a sense that there's a going but not quite leaving and that that stays with us and that that is part of what it is for us to be human and it is a, it's preparatory for us to face that, the great mystery of our own death when it comes. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned there about people having a different sense of that and some people maybe have a strong sense of the person actually almost being still in their lives and for others it's a it's like it's a a shadow maybe that they're casting or it's a a resonance it's a memory yeah i think that the the danger is becoming too maudlin about these things because it's very easy to talk about how people live on live on in one's heart and we're not really quite sure and we don't really investigate what exactly we mean but there is a definite sense in which when a person leaves us through death that we both have to we remember them and to use a phrase that uh, the the poet Rilke used to use there's still heart work to be done that the human heart still has to go right back over the person's life the person's contribution and through the interactions with the person and and the work of that heart never ceases to be done one continues and I think in my experience certainly my father is dead nearly 40 years now but I can be arrested suddenly at a moment I think of Patrick Kavanagh's poem about uh, memory of his father and he's walking down the road and he sees an old man and says oh, 
I might have been his son, you know. Suddenly the old man reminded him of his father. I have that happen too, and I think for most people there is that kind of sudden sort of startling, you know, recognition of a kind of a, a presence through some other form. We are, we, you know, we are, you know, beings towards death, you know. Is there any other way of putting it? This is Heidegger's famous construal. We are, you know, thrown into the world and oriented towards death. But that's not a terrible thing. That's not a dreadful thing. Well, it shouldn't be. A bit like Beckett, born astride a grave almost. Absolutely. I mean, there is no moment at which we are not, and one can become too trite about it and talk about uh, how life is just the sort of slowest rate of dying and other kind of cynical phrases like this. But there is a truth, but it's a good truth, and I think it's a very positive, a very optimistic truth, that our life is turned towards our death, but it's turned towards our death in a kind of a hopeful, in a kind of an encompassing way. From the the specifically Christian point of view, um, as I said earlier, this notion of union or communion dominates. I think of the wonderful phrase that the English mystic Julian of Norwich used. She talked of how we are knit into Christ, who is knit into God. And she talks about the oneing and the grounding in God that comes with, you know, through life, with death. We have this intimate kind of divinization of a kind, a kind of being brought, assumed into the life of God. And so we have this final vision of things of one Christ loving himself, which is what the way St. Paul puts it, and Christ himself talks about drawing all things to himself. So this is it. This is the, the union, the communion that we're talking about. I think most of this, you know, is we're reminded of it very sort of strongly and very poignantly by all saints. All souls reminds us that we are able at times to breach the union, that we do at times rend the fabric, that we, we let things fall into a state of disrepair, and that we need to become one again. The English word atonement comes precisely from the fact that in Old English they used the word that the number one was pronounced own, so atonement meant to be made one again. And it is that is that through our sin, through our failure to give, our failure to care for, our failure to forgive, that we lose the oneness that towards which things are of themselves pointed. And we have to amend it. We have to mend the fabric. We've got to create the oneness again. And so I think all souls, it's right that all souls should happen on foot of all saints. So that, it should, it should, that there should be the double reminder. We're reminded of the, 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 the wonderful final image of unity. But we're reminded that there are stumbling blocks along the way and that we might be the cause of them. And it's a call then to a kind of amendment to a repentance to a making one again to creating unity where we have maybe been in one way or another responsible for some kind of division some kind of 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 um, breach in the fabric is that something though that people say to console themselves and that it's just overlooking the fact that there is a finality to death that that's it you know death you're gone it's over well i'm going to say what maybe I should have begun by saying, because I think I probably came off as sounding like I knew altogether about the way things were after death. When we actually come right up against it, we are facing, we are in, we're dealing with what some theologians refer to as limit questions. Um, 
we're at the very end. In fact, we're beyond the edge of human comprehension and human arti- powers of human articulation. We are in an area of inexplicable and inexpressible mystery. And there's no point in trying to kind of shy away from that or to pretend it's not there or to try to lather words on something that we can't even begin to express. I think of my own mother, dead just over 20 years now, and she was a daily communicant and a woman of exceptional virtue, I will say, but in the lead up to her death, I mean, only days before she finally died, I remember her saying, I don't know what's going to happen when I die. I don't know where I'm going. And I remember feeling glad that she was saying that rather than falling back on some kind of trite expression of the, well, you know, here's the story we've been given and it's good enough for me. I felt there was something truly real and uh, felt about this experience of heading off into the most incredible and inexpressible mystery of them all. So I, I wouldn't be in any way critical of people who simply find themselves bereft of any kind of words or phrases or images to handle this most inexpressible and most inexplicable of realities, because that's what it is. And I think that working with this inevitability of death, because I think that's what we mean by the, the, this, the, the, it as a certainty, working with this inevitability of death allows us to an, to ask questions, but not always to think that the point of asking a question is to receive an answer. Sometimes asking the question is as far as you can go. I'm thinking of the wonderful song of Leonard Cohen's Who by Fire, where he takes the, the chant of the Judaic Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, in the month of Rosh Hashanah. And in the usual ritual, it's the, the chant concerns the, the verdict in the Book of Life about who that year, who shall die, who shall be taken by one means or another. In his song, that's who by fire, who by water, who in the sunshine, who in the nighttime, who by common trial, who by very slow decay. All of these are ways of death that we're familiar with. But he finishes not by drawing a line under it and saying, well, the verdict has been given, but he simply asks, who shall I say is calling? Like we, we still are faced with the mystery. We get as far as the question, and maybe we shouldn't seek to go any further. Who shall I say is calling? Who is it that manages our fate? Who is it that determines when we should die? Who is it that sets what should happen to those who go before us? We don't necessarily have answers to these questions that make a kind of gratifying sense, even if they might fit into a scheme of understanding they may not be felt in the heart. That heart work which we employ when we consider those who die might fail us when it comes to considering our own death.